You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. So we're going to be thinking about um, the Tower of Babel, and that really is Genesis um, chapter 11. And it's only a few verses at the start of the chapter, uh, on verses uh, 1 through to verse 9. But you'll notice the first section in your notes is called Catching Up With Chronology. So let's go and take a look. If you've got your, uh, your notes open, you'll see there the, the chart really that is given of the suggested dates. Um, that's page 53 um, in the notes. And uh, I learned a new term, actually, in preparing for this evening. Maybe it shouldn't have been a new term, so maybe it was. The idea of AM, an AM date. Anyone know what it is? Have a hand up at the back? No. Yes, Anna Mundiff. Latin. I assume it is. What does it mean? What does it mean to be Anna Mundiff? I might have a guess. Well, actually, if you look at the chart, there's a pretty good um, indicator as to what it might mean. In the year zero, AM lines up with Adam. What was from the creation of, of man? Yeah. Creation of mankind. Yeah, that's the suggested uh, mm. start point. The year, year zero is from the creation, from the time of Adam. And so you'll see along the bottom there it starts at year zero and goes through to 2500. And then along the, uh, school, along the y axis, we've got listed some of the, the names that we have recorded for us in the time of Genesis. Um, and the notes just point out a couple of um, couple of things here. So in that black box, uh, does someone just want to read Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, either from your Bible or from, from the notes? And unto Eva were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, brackets, i.e. division, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Tom. And then I'll just read this, the, the next one, verse 16. And Eva lived 430 years and begat Peleg. And what it's doing there is it's trying to place for us what we're going to look at this evening, the idea of the Tower of Babel. Um, and it mentions there, for in his days the earth was divided. Um, now, what we're going to look at in our, in our Tower of Babel record is really the a division of the earth. At this time, the earth was all of one language, and then we're going to see how in the Tower of Babel, those languages were then changed and the earth was divided. However, Tom, you would please with this, there are other interpretations of that, and that's not necessarily whatever more fine I've always understood the or the earth divided, being the idea of there being one land mass, the idea of Pangaea and then it being split up. That's another possible. So then we come to um, our uh, our section of scripture, really, for this evening. Um, so I think it's probably worth reading the record. If you, you'll see in Genesis chapter 9, that's really the end of the story of the flood, the story of Noah. Um, and then chapter 10, well, I don't want to cast their eyes down chapter 10 of Genesis 
and tell me what you see lots of, or what's Genesis chapter 10 all about. Go on, say it again, Paul. The sun's off. The sun's off, yeah. So a, a big long genealogy, really. And so you've got all the different, uh, it says there at the start, verse 1, these are the generations of Noah, and then we get a list of the sons of, the sons of, and so on. Um, not something we're particularly going to cover uh, this evening. Um, there may be some familiar names in there when you read through, and um, others will be, uh, will be less familiar to us. Okay, well, let's, we'll just try and you know, go down verse by verse and, and see what's going on. Um, so we're told the verse that the whole earth was of one language and one speech. You've got the idea of their speech and words, and that the fact they could all talk together was obviously great news. It's very helpful for us in this situation that we can all speak the same language. But as we saw in the days of Noah, they didn't necessarily use that speech and that ability to communicate to lead them in the right direction. Um, and with a, from Adam onwards, that's always been the, the case with humankind, is that they, they don't go in the way that God would like them to do. And so they are all moving together and it says, and you'll see in your notes there, it talks about the idea of it going eastwards as opposed to uh, a journey from the east. Um, I don't know, if, has it got New King James in front of you? Yeah. Um, what's, did you just read the New King James one? Uh, it says journey from the east. Okay, that's the same. So the note suggests it means eastward, um, the suggestion being that where, where um, Ararat was and where Noah's Ark would have, that would have been its final resting place, that's where the base of, of humankind would have been. And they talk about the idea of them moving eastwards from there. Um, and where in your notes does it uh, put uh, Shinar? Where does it suggest that it might be? This is around, yeah, yeah. Iraq. Um, and we're not there yet, but somebody very important is going to come from Iraq uh, a little later on in this chapter, actually. Anyone know who, in biblical terms, very, very important and was from the land of. It's most of call it Iraq in Genesis. Yeah. Abraham, that's right. We'll see later on that we see Abraham is called from the land of Ur or um, Iraq. Okay. And so um, they are going to, in verse 3, build a. Let's read it. They said one to another, go to let us build brick, make brick, burn them thoroughly, yeah, brick the stone and slime for mortar. The purpose was they were going to be able to build this structure that would reach unto heaven. Okay, and so what is it that they are worried about? What do they not want to happen? They don't want to be scattered, which we know ultimately is exactly what happens. So we all want to be together, and, and also, and I guess this is very, very humankind-like, isn't it? They want to make a name for themselves. Um, and we can see, you know, around us now there are people who are out there to try and make a name for themselves, to try and be remembered. So, you know, from that point of view, people haven't changed. Well, that's very interesting, Tom. Exactly right. And David. I have built this city, you shall worship as I instruct. Yeah. Yeah, we see that. David's going to touch on Nebuchadnezzar later. But the fact that Nebuchadnezzar sees the image of lots and lots of different metals mm. that represent different nations, he comes along and says, Actually, I'm going to make just one that's gold. It's all about me. Uh, that comes uh, in the next chapter. Okay, so we've got this tower which is being built. 
I could probably put it on my notes, but no, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. But I'm just going to flick along because uh, there is just an artist's impression. Sometimes it is useful to see the picture just to get, uh, get, get something in your mind. So, we see in verse 5, the Lord, um, like his view of God sending an angel down, came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built it. Um, and then the comment that's made in verse 6 is, Behold, the people is one, and they've got one language, and this is what they're doing. They're building something to try and make a name for themselves. And nothing is going to be restrained upon them. So God was obviously aware that within man there was this capability to do almost anything with it. Okay? Um, and that was not what he wanted from them. Okay? Nothing will be restrained upon them that they imagined to do. You know, we've seen already uh, with the flood. You know, when people get together, they don't do what God wants them to do. And he's already promised, or what was the promise that came out of uh, Noah's flood? With the rainbow, destroy yeah, mankind again. Okay, so it doesn't want to do that, and so it's a mechanism for ensuring that they um, are not able to continue building, to continue going in the way that they were to try and reach that tower that built up to heaven. What was his mechanism for uh, confounding that? Yes, and how? Um, it's brilliant. It's a great idea. How did he go about confounding us? How did he go about scattering them? What, what did God change to enable them to be scattered? Verse 7. Confuse their language. So they're all there, building away, chiseling away, whatever they're doing to build the tower, and suddenly, well, no longer can they communicate the idea of a chisel and a hammer. And this, that, and the other. Okay, because there is confusion now amongst them. And so instead of being one united voice where they can all communicate with one another, they suddenly find out, I'm second, I can't talk to you, I can't understand you. So the foreman can't instruct the workers anymore. Absolutely. And there is likely chaos. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I, we've got no record of this particularly. It's incredibly brief how it's described, yeah. but we can only imagine them trying to find people who they can talk a common language with. That would be the natural thing to do, wouldn't it? Okay? And as we can imagine happening, those people who speak the same language, they form a, a group, maybe a village, become a town. Again, those groups start to move around. And so God's purpose in them not building that tower which reaches up to heaven is fulfilled because well, they can't talk to one another, they can't communicate with one another. And so verse 8 we see that they are then scattered. Um, across the face of all the earth. Um, your margin, oh sorry, not your margin, your notes, will just take you back to uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. You just flip back there in your, in your Bible. So, what was God's instruction that they were to do having come out of the ark? Multiply. Yeah, to multiply and. It was interesting actually, gone for Hebrew. Yes, what did your, uh, Sean just said? Something quite interesting here. It said to fill the earth, didn't it? Fill the earth. Yeah. Okay, so that wasn't what they did. 
we're told they all moved together as one people, and then they all tried to build this tower which reached heaven, but that wasn't what God wanted. He didn't want them all together. He wanted them to fill the earth. And so we see here in chapter 11, this is what begins to happen. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, verse 9, uh, Therefore the name is called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence the Lord scattered them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Okay, so that purpose that we talked about in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, began to be fulfilled now, because their languages were not the same, and so they began to spread out. Um, interesting, the, uh, the Hebrew word here uh, is uh, Babel. Now, we, it sounds very similar to our word Babel, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Babel, the idea of languages, um, and there's a tie up with, um, with Babylon, which we'll discuss a little bit later um, with David. Um, and so, yeah, it's that idea of languages that's being brought out there to confound the languages found the language of all the earth. Um, I'm not going to go through this uh, now, but you get the um, possible contradiction there. Are. Those who are critics of the Bible will often look for things that don't match up or appear not to match up. And as Bible students and Bible believers, um, it's our job, or it's something we can do to hang and say, well, that does appear to be a contradiction. What can we do to try and try and sort that out? And certainly as Christians, we always say, well, you know, this is this is what we believe to be true. If something we find doesn't agree with it, well, let's make sure that whatever we end up believing you know, still stays true to, to what the Bible says. Um, and so just in that little section there, a contradiction which you've got in your notes, it just sort of explains what actually what the, ge- the genealogies that we read in chapter 10 are looking ahead of what we've been considering uh, in chapter 11 and the, the confusion of languages. Okay, so that concludes um, what I'm going to say now. Um, um, oh, sorry, Dave. Oh, I'm ready to go with on that. I thought I was. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, then on to the formation of nations, uh, which we have with um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, who was Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Sons of Noah. Yeah, there were the three sons of Noah. So. From those three, I guess the, the whole earth then began to be populated from Noah's three sons and their families. And you've got a nice little diagram um, in your notes, uh, which will be on page um, 57. Okay, they are the suggestion in here, and you'll see that it's just appearing on the screen. We've got Japheth. Um, Heading up to uh, the northern uh, country, sort of towards uh, Europe, I suppose. Um, Ham into the area of Africa, and then Shem, uh, Semitic peoples into the area of what, Israel and Saudi Arabia, and so on um, around there. So we see those the descendants of Noah being scattered over a period of time um, into all the parts of the earth. Now. If we count the number of nations, uh, you'll see this in your notes which are listed, you get the idea of them being 70. Okay, so 70 nations who are listed. But interestingly, this idea of 70 is one that comes up later with um, God's people of Israel. 
Okay, so um, the, the verses there are mentioned in the notes, Gen Genesis 46, verse 27. All the souls of the house of Jacob which came into Egypt were three score and ten. So that's 70, score being 20, so three score and ten being 70. Um, and this is all going to be things that you'll be covering as you go through the uh, Genesis notes. Um, Exodus has got mentioned there, all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. Well, Joseph was in Egypt already, so they've got that idea of 70 coming up again. And then in Deuteronomy, thy fathers went down into Egypt with three score and ten, so it's 70 again, consistently 70. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven. So the starting point for the children of Jacob given here is 70, the same as the number of the nations. And the verse that you've got recorded there in, in that middle section, Deuteronomy 32, um, does someone read that for us? Um, Daniel, I can see you're, uh, you're busy elsewhere, so you carry on. Are you able to read that um, yeah. verse in Genesis? Sorry, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 to 9. When the most high divided the nations, when the most high divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lost of his inheritance. Thank you. So, yeah, the, the notes there go on to describe it as an extraordinary fact. And it, it is. Okay, the fact that God is really. 32. Yeah, 32 verses 8 to 9. Um, an extraordinary kind of God has designed it so that there are 70 nations, 70 uh, nations which are listed here in Genesis 10, but also that's the same number as the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, as is described there. So when we see numbers that keep on appearing, so the 70 nations, the 70 sons of Jacob, these things aren't coincidences, they're things that God has designed to be put in place. So we've got so apparently random, but it's not. Okay, the scattering on migration of nations and then the number of people who were in the family. Um, and I'm not sure whether we've touched on this particularly so far about um, Israel being God's people. I know we have done in previous uh, seminars, but that's something that's come up possibly not yet particularly. So these next few verses um, are really useful in illustrating this idea of Israel as God's chosen people, and that's something which is uh, an idea all through history, really, from what we're considering in Genesis through to our time, even today. Um, so we've got, and I just, I think we'll just read it in the notes. Um, a few passages here that describe how central the nation of Israel is in God's purpose. Thanks, Tom. So. It mentions there the fathers. Now, we're sort of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because actually one of the fathers that the fathers mentioned there is Abraham, who's going to come up, I assume it'll be next week, okay, in Genesis chapter 11. And we've mentioned him earlier already when thinking about Abraham. But God's covenant he made with Abraham, and that is, he was the forefather, really, of the Jewish people, of the people of Israel. And God loves the people of Israel because of that covenant that he made with Abraham. But he describes them there as his special people, of all people that are on the face of the earth. And it's interesting to think about, isn't it? There's a group of people that God considers to be special, of all people 
on the face of the earth. Sam, would you mind just reading the next one for us? Uh, chapter 28, verses 18 to 19. And the Lord hath allowed thee this day to be his peculiar people, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honour. Okay, so a similar idea again there, but just, again, you'll notice that the love which is shown towards this people um, from God. And then another two references. Yeah, the peculiar idea of special, I think, uh, would be the idea there, rather than odd. Um, and then, Paul, would you mind just reading the one that's in Zechariah, uh, chapter 2, for us? Yeah. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. Okay, so that may be a phrase that we recognise today, the apple of your eye, or something which is most precious to you. Well, that's how God sees uh, the people of Israel. And then finally, Sean, just that one in Romans, please. With glory, honour and peace to everyone that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Nice, thank you. So... Now we are we are Gentiles, we are non-Jews, and there is a blessing you know, which is going to come for us. But that verse in Romans there again talks about the Jew first, they are God's uh, chosen people. But that's just a link that's come from that idea of 70, 70 nations. And then we had that reference in Deuteronomy that talked about this number of the nations being according to the number of his people that went down into Egypt. So it's amazing those links that can be made from you know very, very early on in the Bible uh, to passages that go all throughout. Okay, I think I might actually be, might might turn to hand over now. So sorry to scare you over. Of language uh, that we find in the first century after 
and certain believers were endowed with uh, the Holy Spirit, with one of those gifts that the Spirit was um, that uh, the apostles could speak in tongues, as it's referred to in the Bible. And what that was effectively was that they could speak in different languages that they hadn't learned. Um, now, in the box, at the bottom of page 58, we've got a quote there from Jesus in Mark chapter 16. We'll perhaps read that. So we can see that Jesus spoke of this gift that was to come in relation to language uh, in, in Mark 16. Um, we just got to, to read that. And he said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be done. And these signs shall follow them that they believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. So there's Jesus saying that after him, it's possible to come and they will, um, they will have signs to support their work, um, to show that they were um, continuing the work of Christ. And they would cast out um, devils or demons, uh, illnesses. And they should speak with new tongues. And so there's, um, there's the sort of prediction that this was going to happen. Um, so um, it did come to pass shortly after, so shortly after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So the next quote we've got is from Acts chapter 2. Now, the context of Acts chapter 2 is that Jesus had just ascended, the apostles then all gathered uh, together. And we read that there was one of the Jewish feast days, the, the day of Pentecost. Uh, and it was for these feasts, people came, Jews came and gathered uh, from all different countries, uh, obviously speaking in all different languages. Now, obviously, the, the gospel message was new. Jesus had just gone. Now, wouldn't it be handy if those few apostles could speak all the languages of all the people so that everyone could hear and understand firsthand that message? Well, it would, wouldn't it? And, and God recognised that. And so that was one of the gifts uh, that he gave them uh, in those days. And so that's what we're reading about. So the, the apostles were gathered together, uh, and we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So perhaps we can continue and read, read this the next box in Acts 2, verse 4. What? Do I read Yeah. Okay. Acts 2, 1-4, yeah. Yes. And when the day of Pentecost was fully done, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like out of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Thank you. So, um, they were all with one accord in one place, that's the apostles. So the apostles were in this place, in this room, uh, and this was the occasion. They were suddenly filled with this Holy Spirit. They were rushing mighty wind, as the Holy Spirit was. It's a breath, mighty breath, Spirit of God. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they could speak with other tongues. So that means basically they were able to speak other languages. Now that's been confused. Many people, I say many, I don't know, some people today claim that they have the ability to speak in tongues. Not what was happening here, it's not what the speaking in tongues is in the Bible. It's literally speaking in different languages, other languages. Um, and it's not, it clearly isn't what was happening here. And we read on in the account of 
uh, the, the apostles that received this Holy Spirit and the ability to speak in different languages. And so then they went out and spoke to the people uh, in all different languages. So if we can carry on reading the next box. Well, the one the second box down. Oh, 59. 59, yeah, second box. Ah. Yeah. Now, when this was noisy abroad, most came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these the Galileans? And how here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. Okay, so the people recognised this was a miracle. They recognised that all these men were Galileans, uh, and yet they were speaking in all these different languages suddenly that they couldn't do before. And everyone was hearing in their own language. Uh, I've heard it suggested as well that it could be one apostle that was speaking to a collective, they didn't have to gather in their own languages. Be speaking here, French here, and so on, but they could speak once to the whole congregation and everyone heard in their own language. So we don't know exactly, but certainly everyone could, um, could hear the messages in their own language. And so they were miraculously able to speak foreign languages. And so that's really the, the simple meaning of uh, speaking in tongues, that it was uh, merely foreign languages. And then in the bottom box, it was down. Sometimes you know, run out. Uh, so the bottom box on page 59 from 1 Corinthians 14. There are in AD so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the world, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, a foreigner. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian or a foreigner unto me. Just stating fact really, isn't it? Nothing really confusing about that, isn't it? There are many kinds of voices and many languages in the world. And if a foreigner speaking to us in our language we don't understand, then we don't understand it, we don't know the meaning. And vice versa, if we speak to, to them. And so that's all really that, that is being said there. And it says at the bottom, doesn't it? The serious effect of this misunderstanding has been to encourage the erroneous belief. The Holy Spirit is possessed by men and women today. Scriptures, I think, are quite clear uh, that the purpose, well, I think there are different ways of looking at it, but one of them is to think, well, what was the logical purpose of the Holy Spirit? And the Bible very clearly tells us that it was to teach the gospel in these early days so that the people could bring it to remembrance, uh, and it was to perfect and to edify the new church, the new ecclesia. Uh, passage um, Paul writes to the Corinthians to say that you know, when that is achieved uh, then um, those gifts will be uh, taken away and will cease. Did he decide that it would happen again? It would happen again? Mm -hmm. One of the languages? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to go on to consider. Ah, so, so, so yeah, so in God's ultimate purpose is that you know, one language is good, basically, um, and that's what we'll come back to in his kingdom. So yeah, that's what we're going to consider now. Um, so from page 60, uh, in this section now, the kingdoms of men versus the kingdoms of God. So this, 
is basically is a prophecy we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 2 um, that sort of predicts the history of the world in a sense. And it's the end of that history that we're really interested in because that's what's going to bring about this great change and reversal where, again, God will judge the world. It's a bit like the same pattern as we saw last week when we were thinking about the flood and we saw the pattern and the wider significance that because of wickedness and godlessness, God was going to, well, he'd given warnings to the people to turn, he'd given them time to turn, but then judgment would come and there would be an outcome. So in the days of Noah, as we saw, the outcome could be good or bad, depending on whether people did listen to God and turn to him or not. Uh, and it's the same uh, now. Uh, and that's really what this, this prophecy is. Prophecy is showing in a sense, I suppose, but a similar repetition to come. And it's all speaking about the same time. It's judgment to come when God <coughs> will again judge the world. Uh, and those that are obedient to him, that follow him, will be rewarded in a good way. And those that don't uh, will be judged and destroyed. Uh, so that's really, we have a similar pattern really in <coughs> in regards to this language. So, on page 60, we've got quite a bit of background uh, about Babylon. Mm. I mentioned Babylon a lot in that. Uh, um, we're not going to go through it. It's, you, know, you can read it for yourself. Um, it's ancient history, most of it. But I suppose there's the bit at the bottom where it sort of picks up the bottom. Or just above the heading, the Neo-Babylon city in its decline. You see that in 625 BC, the Chaldeans led by Nebo Kalasa control of the cities that were, were 625 BC about. Uh, so the last section of the notes, I'll just read over page 60, that Nebuchadnezzar founded the Neo-Babylon dynasty and his son Nebuchadnezzar II extended the kingdom as far as Palestine and Syria. The capital of Babylon was refurbished with a new temple and palace buildings, extensive fortification walls and gates and paved processional ways. It was the largest city of the known world covering more than 1,000 hectares, 2,500 acres. Now I've got a bit marked in. This is another slide that's been put together. I think there's a picture. Oh, that's a lot of hanging garden. Hanging garden about the artist's impression of what it might have looked like. Anyway, we've got less than 10 minutes, so let's just um, move to page 61 and just try and just summarise this, this image, this dream, this vision that maybe you can say. So we've just built up this picture, haven't we, of this amazing city of Babylon, the largest city of the known world, the most powerful city, the dominion of the known world there, and this great king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he has this dream that we read about in Daniel chapter 2, and it's time to really look at much of it all. And it has to be interpreted, all these wise men can't interpret it, but then this man, this God fearing man, prophet of God, Daniel, uh, and he, he interpreted it. So it's not me, it's God. I can tell you what I can see from God. And the dream is of this, this statue consisting of various metals. So we've got a picture of it on the notes. And, but yeah, so the head of gold, well, on the screen here, sort of golden <laughs> colours, isn't it? So the head of, of gold. Most of it looks green, actually. But yeah, so this was a representation <coughs> of the kingdoms of men from Nebuchadnezzar's day forwards to our day. So, the part at the top with the head, Nebuchadnezzar was told, Your head 
talking about the kingdom of God, isn't it? So all, all these nations, Nebuchadnezzar, um, their moments, they all have their time, they will come and go, and then in this period where there was strong and weak nations, that's when this stone would come, destroy the whole thing, and establish a kingdom, God would set up his kingdom in its place. So what, what was this, what was this stone Yeah, it was to represent a person. So in God's purpose, that this what's going to destroy Jesus. Jesus, Jesus yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting we don't have time to look at it probably. Um, Jesus referred to him as a stone. Uh, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus turned there. Just a different turn there. Like you're saying, right? Just the same in that parable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's still on the foundation of love. Yeah. I'll just turn that really So in Matthew 21, the stone that was coming drying people to power Of 
hold that thought, we'll come back to it eventually when we've got there. <laughs> Obviously, there's some interesting stuff that we've considered and wider significance, uh, you know, the insight into the fixing of language in the first century in the Apostles, uh, but then the complete fixing of language when God completely uh, destroys and removes wicked men and when he establishes his kingdom. <laughs> the purpose of that one language, uh, that one pure language in the future, is so that everyone can learn God and understand that the pure doctrine of God. Which is that last quote from, from Isaiah 2. So we'll come up with that one. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and bring reward in his paths. For out of Zion, shall go forth the Lord, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, so, so that will be a, you know, a marvellous situation in those days, when basically the situation of Babel will have been restored with this one language. Um, I think I'm just reading it earlier. Uh, yeah, so in Genesis 11, verse 6, wasn't it? The, the thing that wasn't right at the time, wasn't the right time for this to happen. But God said, the people is one, they have one language, and this they begin to do, now nothing will be restrained from them, which they had imagined to do. But it wasn't the time, it wasn't for the people's imagination to, to achieve everything. But there will be a time in the future in the kingdom when God's imagination, everything will be achieved by, by people. And everyone will be able to understand Pure language. And that pure language will basically reflect the, the purity of the, the whole kingdom. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen